Hey everyone, I know you've heard me speak about microdosing and how much I love it. And I'm talking about microdosing THC. I love it. And that's why I love our sponsor, microdose.com. Microdose gummies are incredible. They deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. And when I mean just the right amount of good, I mean in so many situations, anxiety, sleep, focus, pain, relaxation. There are so many different strains and they're really helpful. And I have recommended microdose.com to so many people. And you know what they say to me? Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Don't be afraid of microdosing. Go to microdose.com and you'll learn all about microdosing THC. These gummies feel amazing. They taste amazing. I have used them to get me into the zone I need to write. I've used them at night after a stressful day or a stressful show to relax. I have also said to family members, please take a gummy right now. And they've said, oh, good idea. So check it out. Check it out because they're fantastic. And I'm not like a big weed person. I mean, I used to be. And I do enjoy, I do enjoy weed every now and then, but I love, I love these gummies and I take them with me everywhere. So check it out. Don't be afraid. They're all natural. They're fantastic. And you deserve it. So what are you going to do? You're going to do something that is fantastic. You're going to get 30% off your first order. 30% off. That's a lot. Plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Use promo code Judy Gold, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D. It's available nationwide. They deliver it to your door. That is microdose.com, promo code Judy Gold for 30% off and free shipping. Do it. Go to microdose.com, promo code Judy Gold. You deserve it. You deserve it. And you know what else? You're welcome. Hey everyone, welcome to Kill Me Now with Judy Gold. I am your host, Judy Gold, and this week we have part two of my interview with the hilarious and the brilliant Andy Borowitz. If you have not picked up his book, Profiles in Ignorance, do it. It is beyond.com. I loved it. I really think, uh, I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. He is the greatest satirist of our generation. And it was a thrill to interview him. And he happens to be a really nice guy. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Kill Me Now with Andy Borg. You're in L.A., you go to L.A., you get married, uh, and you end up having two lovely children, Max and Alexandra, and you're in L.A., and you and your ex-wife, who also went to Harvard, 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 yeah, 
how great we are. And you create, a lot of people don't know that you created, after working on several sitcoms, you created The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air with Will Smith. Mm-hmm. And you won the NAACP award. You um, purposely hired black writers, black crew mm-hmm. members. You purposely made sure that the stories were accurate. And you got this idea from a con- someone saying something at about Bell. What was that? You were someone had said something about the rich people in this rich area of Los Angeles and it clicked in your head. I'll fill in a little bit on on that, but you're right. Everything you said was true. What happened was I was under contract at NBC. I was like, you, you, now you would remember this name, but so many people don't because it's so long ago, but Brandon Tartikoff. Oh yes, of course. I met him. Yeah. And he was like a big celeb. Like he hosted Saturday night live and, you know, Brandon and Brandon was a guy. He he went to Yale um, and was on the he was on the Yale Humor Magazine, which was called the Yale Record. That's mm-hmm. a very funny name, very funny name for a magazine. And but I think Brandon really he actually I think sort of regretted that he didn't he was never on the Harvard Lampoon because that was like he was a funny guy and he really liked comedy and really liked comedy rank. So he and I really bonded. I he was like to me it was like felt like a big brother or something mm-hmm. more than like a boss. So I was under contract to NBC and he one day came down and said, have you ever heard of the fresh Prince?" And I said, well, I've heard of Prince." Like I'd literally never heard. I knew very little about hip hop. I think I knew. About oh, the cause Beastie Will Boys. Smith. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So I knew about the Beastie Boys and I knew about Run DMC because of the Aerosmith video, you yeah. know, and, and, and Fight the Power I knew about, like Public Enemy, but I very much a white 30-year-old concept of what hip-hop was. So anyway, he said, Quincy Jones just, you know, brought in this kid, Will Smith. We think he's got something, and we want to do a presentation, which means less than a pilot. It was like... Right, it was like spend- 19 minutes, I read. Yeah, yeah 19 minutes. We're going to, and the main reason they did presentations back then was because it was a way of circumventing the union minimum. So, like, they never had to pay anybody like what they would pay them for a pilot. Right. It was really sort of sleazy. And so the whole thing. Shocking. That is shocking. I know. For a network, shocking. Yeah. It's like they were really taking a flyer. It wasn't like they said, oh, this kid's going to be the next big thing. It was like, we think he's got something. So, Quincy Jones was the guy who got Will into NBC. He was this, a, a gentleman named Benny Medina, who was a record executive at Warner Brothers, along with Quincy, because Quincy was sort of a legend at Warner Brothers. And um, Quincy was able to facilitate this meeting. And so they made a deal for Will. And then I went over to Quincy's house in Bel Air and had dinner with him. And, and Quincy- How old were you? Him, How old were you? I was like 32. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, of course, you know, at that age, I've totally grown up and right. by Quincy Jones. Of course. And, and his ex, by the way, at that time was, of course, Peggy Lipton. Yeah. Oh. By her too. The Mod Squad, right? Yeah. Um, so, starts telling these stories 
about his kids growing up rich oh, and black right. in Bel Air. So the story I love the most was one of his daughters. I don't know who it was Rashida. Oh, this is the funniest. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So one of his daughters, he sends her away to summer camp, to sleepover camp. And this <laughs> is in the era before voicemail where you still have like an answering machine. Yeah. So he turns on his answering machine and there's a call from his daughter from, from summer camp. And she says, dad, the water here sucks. Please FedEx Evian. <laughs> so you watch like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, you know, the character of Hillary yeah. played by the brilliant Karen Parsons was like one of the funniest actresses I ever worked with. She was that character. And Carlton was the name Carlton was based on, one of my friends from college who's named Carlton Hughes who wound up being one of the producers of Lost and has done mm-hmm. a million other great shows since then. But Carlton, I thought in college, I didn't know Carlton. Carlton's background was actually more interesting than this, but Carlton seemed like the preppiest guy I knew. Like he's just so preppy. So when it came time to name that character, it's like, got to be Carlton. The funny thing about that to me is that Carlton's kind of an unusual name. So ever since, like when Carlton, my friend Carlton Cuse is introduced to somebody, he says, hi, I'm Carlton Cuse. People always say to him, oh yeah, Carlton, can you do the Carlton? Can you do the Carlton dance? Like <laughs> they make fun of him as if like it's a crazy coincidence. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's actually not at all. That's hilarious. All. Um, but yeah, everybody always has assumed it was nutty coincidence. But, but yeah, it was really like that show actually, t- one thing it taught me was how completely random showbiz success can be because everything kind of just had to cut right. I had to be at NBC at that moment when Will Smith walked through the door, right place at the right time. I had to, um, you know, it was, was, I think the fact that I went to a high school that was- That's what, yes. That's what I was going to say. So diverse, yeah. And just to clarify- I did not, I considered myself very much um, ignorant when it came to the African-American experience. I wasn't like arrogant and all. So yeah, I have black friends. I know. Yeah, how. yeah. Just the opposite. It was like, I was terrified that I would portray things in not, not necessarily insultingly, but, but inaccurately, really, condescendingly, yeah. just as a white guy would do. And so it was essential that there be everybody, as many people as possible, not just on the writing staff, but throughout be African-American and also it was essential that I listen and have some, one thing I've learned and I keep learning is that like intellectual humility is like the key to life, like acknowledging how little we know you can never go wrong. That's where being a rube is kind of a good thing, right? It's like, yeah, I don't know shit and I'm just going to listen <laughs> to you. But, and, and you say that, you actually, in the conclusion of the book, you, you talk yeah, about that. Yeah. I've come, ar- I've come around to that because it's, what you realize is that and it's true in running a country or running a city is like you have all these problems that we've never dealt with before, like climate change. That, right. That's new. That we but, created. Yeah. That we created. But we also created the Dust Bowl in the 30s. That was our fault. That, mm-hmm. And and we got out of it because the president then, FDR, he was a pretty arrogant guy in a lot of ways, but he had intellectual humility and was like, mm-hmm. you know what? I don't really think I know how to fix this. So I'm going to surround myself with a lot of smart people. Yep. But like on, on that show, like I just assumed I was wrong about everything. And I listened after every run through, I'd, I'd sit with all the actors and I would say, what isn't good in the script? What can we fix? What are your notes? 
And sometimes it was a cultural thing. And sometimes it was just like, I don't like this line because it's awkward and I wouldn't say that. And it's like, all that just makes whatever you're doing better. To me, it's like the, the creative, it's not just writers, but if, if you ever get into that sense of being really insecure about what you've done and you're not open to... No, never. Know, yeah. Then you're fucked. You're fucked. And yeah. it's like, with that, with the book, like, you know, I'm married to a real journalist. Olivia is just a phenomenal investigative journalist and great writer and a great editor, as I discovered, much to my horror, because she went through the book and found all these things wrong with it. And at first I was very petulant about it because like, shit, no one wants to do all that work, right? Yeah, no one yeah. has to like tear things apart. But then after my initial tantrum, you know, I went back and everything she said was 100% right. And that's when things start getting good. Because yeah. it's like, your first draft is always going to be shit. just that. It's going to be yeah. like, you're just vomiting it out. But you have to vomit it out. Yeah. But, okay. It's a necessary part. Yeah. You, I heard uh, you say that you felt like sitcom writing wasn't real writing. Um, it was managed, you know, and working in that sort of environment was very managerial and it wasn't, it was like, how do we end this, you know, uh, this episode, we need a line. And it wasn't the kind of writing that you loved. And in 1995, you are so successful, you quit. And yeah. you move back to New York and you retire for a couple of years and spend time with yeah. your kids. You know, one thing I should say, though, about just because I don't want to um, don't want to sound arrogant. Yeah. I don't know. If I, but when I say sitcom isn't real writing, what I meant is didn't feel like real writing for, for me. I think right, for you. Yes, yes, yes. I yes. mean, there are people who are like, you know, for Ricky Gervais, you know, it's real writing because he's uh, oh, a yeah. genius at it. But and like Norman me, Lear, yeah, uh, yes, yeah. of course. I mean, for, for me, it was Bill Rosenthal. Like, yeah, I'm doing yeah, it. For me, okay. it. For me, it was like, I kind of stumbled into this thing. It worked out, but it's not really, doesn't feel like me. It feels like it's a room full of people pitching and then me dealing with, with actors and, pretty, right. you know, so that that's so I just meant for me. I just want didn't want to. No, no. I meant. I I hope I didn't say. I me, I meant it no, that no. way. That you for yeah. you for what you loved. Yeah. yeah so um, I, I did. I took a couple of years of doing nothing, and you know, I later found. Can out, I ever do that? I'd like to. Well, I tried to do it over the um, pandemic. Yeah, and it didn't work. I just wanted to work even more. You know. Yeah. But I loved not going out to. I loved that. I had never yeah, been home isolation. at night. Yeah, yeah, I had yeah. never been home after dinner. It was crazy. Did you find out that, did, one thing I discovered during that period, I don't know if you did, was I was much more of an introvert than I thought I was. Abs like I, I talk about it on stage now. I, I, I was did like, not need people. I, it's like when people were saying, oh, thank God we can go out again. I was like, no, no, no. I know. I, I, do, I talk about, I have a whole joke about how I miss quarantine and I just started going <laughs> out with all my friends and that I hadn't seen in like 18 months, two years. And after spending time with them and having dinner and stuff, I realized I hate them. And <laughs> and I'm just saying, you know, I must have been too busy to before to realize how annoying people are. Like, I really loved it. I had this little life and it was great. Yeah. I mean, I, um, you know, give an example of somebody who I don't know, but I read this, this wisdom that she wrote. Are you familiar with um with Ina Garten? The, um, uh, no, <laughs> well, Ina, I've never met her, but, but I, I love her. I think I was, I was reading in a magazine once somebody interviewed 
her. And, you know, she had this whole other career. Yes. She became the bear yes. contest or whatever. So she was like in finance. Or finance. Like yeah. Corporate finance or something. Yeah. And she took some down. I didn't, she was not my role model for this. I just learned about this after I had done the same thing that she did. But um, she took a couple years out after she quit finance. And that's when she kind of just rediscovered her love of cooking. And that got this whole other like second act, which was so much more exciting than her first act. And she made a really good observation. She said, you know, type A personalities. And I think, I think you and I probably both fit in that category. We like to work. So the type A personalities always think that they can shift gears while they're doing their first thing. Like while they're doing their comedy, they also want to write a play and put yeah. it on the side or whatever. And she said she thinks what really helped her was that taking that time off, she just got so fucking bored after a couple of years that that led her to her next thing. Because it's harder, like if you're in perpetual motion, it's harder to do that. Right. So I spent two years where I basically read. I did not have a plan. Like I wasn't going to be like, okay, now I'm going to be a political satirist. Yeah, no, yeah. there was nothing like that. I was just reading books. I read a lot of biographies, which I think are really edifying because I think you can see other people's lives and it's kind of like, it's almost like cheating, you know, like yeah, you're yeah. this whole trajectory and it's like, Oh, I don't want to do that fucked up thing. <laughs> you know, so it's like, I spent a lot of time reading biographies of writers, like people like Dorothy Parker and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And, and then after a couple of years, I had an idea for actually a piece, like a humor piece, which I hadn't really written since college, since the lampoon. And I sent it into the New York Times and they ran it and more views be- than any <laughs> other article or piece like that. More views than any it crashed basically. The I that may be true. I don't know. I don't know if that's the case, All right, I may I may have made that up. But it had more views. Yeah. Go ahead. I don't even know. It's like 1998. Did, it, did mm-hmm. anyone even count views back then? I don't know. If well, like I mean, it was views. very successful. It was, yeah. it was got huge. Yeah. So anyway, I that actually, you know, your Twitter feed had more, you had the most successful Twitter feed, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So that's not, it sounded like too analog a time for anything to have had views. Cause it was 98. Yeah, that's uh, right. Sorry. This I was how, conflating. Sorry. Yeah. This is how miscommunicated. This is how misinformation. This is why starts. I'm, everyone hates me. <laughs> no, no, no. So anyway, that's sort of like kindergarten for theory would have applied to what I did because I spent a couple of years. I really loved reading and I loved not creating anything. But then eventually, like I had all this pent up um, energy. I wanted yeah. to do stuff. Since then, I've really never had, since I stopped doing sitcoms, I've never had like an idea for a sitcom and said, oh, this would make a great sitcom. Right. And literally, that part of my life was just over. and. And that's cool. Like I did it when I was like in my twenties and thirties and that was like. And it it gave you the, you know, you can afford to do what you love. Yeah. It gave me a lot of, a lot of freedom to do because writing, you know, prose for the New Yorker is not, you know, that is not a, a living wage. Hey everyone. You know what I just did? I tore I poured and I enjoyed a packet of Liquid IV because I love Liquid IV. Liquid IV is a major part of my life. And I just worked out with my trainer and I 
had a delicious lemon ginger liquid IV. That one has a little extra. That has a little green tea in it. And so that's a little caffeinated. So I enjoy that because I needed it today. And you know, it's getting warmer out. And what does that mean? Summer. Oh God, please come. It can't come soon enough. And that means you have to hydrate. And that's what liquid IV does. It hydrates you with benefits like electrolytes, vitamins, and clinically tested nutrients. And it has three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients in one little stick. And that's why Liquid IV is the number one powered hydration brand in America. Okay? And I love it. I use it every day. Ben's basketball team uses it. It is a science-backed formula that works. It keeps you hydrated. And they have sugar-free. They have sugar-free packets in white peach, green grape, raspberry melon, and lemon lime. Okay? I didn't do the sugar-free. Okay. But Elisa does the sugar-free. So what are you going to do? You're going to stay hydrated because it's very, very important. And Liquid IV has been a longtime sponsor, and I love them. And they are a quality product. And this is what you're going to do. You're going to turn your ordinary, ordinary, can't speak. Turn your ordinary water into extraordinary hydration with Liquid IV. Get 20% off your first order of Liquid IV when you go to liquidiv.com and use code JudyGold at checkout. That's J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code JudyGold, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D, can't even say my name, at liquidiv.com. Got it? You're welcome. So you start writing these hilarious. I, I just, I wait, hold on. I have to, I have to read for anyone who is listening. I can't imagine that people who listen to this podcast aren't huge fans of yours. Even the fucking titles. You start writing these, these satirical pieces then and and you're doing it on Twitter and it's it is the most successful Twitter account ever and then you find that out and you're like I'm not I don't want to be on Twitter. I mean that's what I love. <laughs> when you were writing these uh pieces you wouldn't have any advertisers because you didn't want them having to have any input in what you say, which I love right. that. If you read the you know, the New Yorker picked it up and Lindsey Graham warns that Biden's pro-democracy rhetoric could lead to voting in the street. I mean, it's fucking hilarious. Student loan forgiveness in, <laughs> inspires Giuliani to apply to law school. I mean, where the fuck? I, I, sometimes you marry these. This is my favorite. The, when, you, when you marry two things, uh, this I love. Dr. Oz claims that eating classified documents was essential to Trump's healthy diet. I mean, your brain is so, I love it. I, it's just so fucking hilarious. And so every day, like I, I'm always like, oh, what did he do? What did he do? It's, it's <laughs> so fucking original. And so I'm reading and I've, I've been a huge fan of yours forever as I accosted you at the gym when you lived in New York, but you're, we've, we've done a lot of shows together. Yes. Uh, and satire is so important one of your books was not was about uh, in in 2008 you had a near death experience mm-hmm. um you had a was it a twisted colon look at me twisted yeah. 
Colon. That's called called a sigma. It's the medical term is a sigma, sigmoid volvulus for those. Oh, I knew that. Abdominal surge, abdominal surgeons in the audience. And that was the at first. The Cleveland Clinic. Yeah. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and so that was the first time you wrote, uh, you know, autobiographically, right? Yeah. Um, pretty much, pretty much the only, I mean, I, yeah. pretty much the only time I've done little things here and there, but that was kind of the only time I've sort of talked about did, myself. Did you do that friends. for you or for your kids, you think, or just that you needed to? That story has an interesting provenance. Oh, I just used some French. Oh my God. I, I use the word provenance. I said milieu. I no, said milieu I can't. Yeah. Too. You said milieu already. I am. It's we're terrible. With, we're with terrible. intellectual royalty. Lately. I know. And I know. It's the yeah. worst. I, I'm no more, no more French. I won't do the whole, I won't do the story because it's, you know, it's available in many forms. Including it's in the book. Free. Yes. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're, so I paid 99 cents for it, by the way. On Kindle. <laughs> and it was okay. worth Yes. At least 98. So long story short, like I had this medical emergency that came out of nowhere where, you know, I suddenly had this very bloated stomach and, and tremendously the worst pain I've ever experienced. And, um, it turned out that my colon was twisted, which is interestingly enough, Judy, something that happens to tall people. So because you and I are really, yes, because that's um, why I'm bloated. <laughs> well, <laughs> tall people sometimes have also long organs. And I'm not, that is not a, a dick joke. I'm just saying <laughs> our organs tend to be. You're known for long, your dick jokes. Yeah. Known for them. I send them to people <laughs> yeah. without their consent. And uh, so, but it's like, we tend to have like organs that can be long and not tacked down properly. This is just a. Not everybody, but I'm saying some long, tall people have this mm-hmm. problem. I did not know I had this problem until I was like in the emergency room. Had three surgeries of varying degrees of failure. They were, it was really a lot of like haphazard medical attention. Fortunately, I'm here to tell the story. So it all had a happy ending. But I told this story initially um, at the MOP where I'd been the host for like 10 years in New York. And I told us like a 10 minute story about this whole medical emergency. And a friend of mine who's been a very successful author named Gretchen Rubin, she wrote that the happiness project was her first big book. And yeah, exactly. And she did an interview with me about the moth story and about what I learned about happiness from having this near death experience. And it, it sounds a little cliche, but basically what I learned is life is precious and we take it for granted until something like this happens. Right. And we don't anymore. Then we realize, oh, actually, I like being here and um, I'm going to make better use of my time or try to. Right. Um, to me, that year, 2008, was like this line of demarcation in my life because of like, okay, after 2008, I still can get obsessed with silly shit, but I really try not to. I, at least I'm aware of this. I've really been lucky to be here for the last 14 years. Anyway, Gretchen did an interview with me on her happiness blog, and I ran into her, get ready to ring the bell, at the 92Y. Wow! Um, because I was, my daughter, Maddie, was in nursery school there, and Gretchen, who lived around the corner, liked to do, she liked to write in the cafe on the sixth floor. I don't know if you've ever been up there, but it's a nice cafe. So, so Gretchen said to me, you know, when I did that interview with you about your moth story, 
I got some so much reaction to that. Have you ever thought about doing a Kindle single? And I had never heard of what that was. And I said, no, what's that? And it was like, well, basically, if you just typed up your story and sent it into Amazon, they would market it and they would do it as like a little short book. And it wouldn't take any work for you to just basically type it. Right. And that's my kind of gig. Yep. That kind of gig is one where there's no work involved. It's like, okay, that sounds cool. So I did, and it became this like little story called An Unexpected Twist. I know. Terrible. Ha, ha, ha. I see what I did there. Yeah. Um, but um, I'm glad I did it because it's not like, it wasn't a heavy handed message like Carpe Diem and all yeah. that. But it was, but it was kind of, it was just the stuff that happened was ridiculous. Like, I had this surgeon um, who must have been really good because it was a New York hospital, which is a very good hospital. I don't think they let any bum in the door. It's like, I think he was really good. But he did do the first two surgeries, which were both, by any measure, disastrous. Because I just, I came very close to dying. And finally, the third surgery, which was supposed to clean up the mess, basically, the first two, um, he had me on the operating table, and I was about to get anesthesia and go under. And he looked in my eyes and he said this totally seriously. He said, look, I know there've been a lot of complications with the first two surgeries. So I'm going to be extra careful this time. (laughs) (laughs) He literally said that. Uh, First of all, the fact that you went for three after the two shitty ones. That I did. Yeah. And also this gets back to the Rube thing though, because I was admitted on an emergency basis at that hospital. And I, and it's like, I'm too easily impressed by credentials, right? Oh, yeah. I I Googled New York Hospital. Oh, it's one of the like 10 best in the country. Awesome. And one day a surgeon walks in and writes on the whiteboard in my room that he's my surgeon. And I remember at the time a friend of mine who was really a super expert when it came to medical stuff. She was not a doctor, but she was like a perennial patient. So she she, knew every hospital in New York really well. She said, I actually have a GI specialist up at Columbia Presbyterian, same hospital system, just different facility. Said, do you want to like get a second opinion from my guy and see like, do I at least meet with him? Because you don't know the guy that right. they've given you. And I was like, oh, I'm sure he's fine. <laughs> it was like, I was like, my life is hanging in the balance. Why do, why do any more research? Right, right. Like, it, might be, it would be so, it might hurt his feelings. Like, I'm I think I'm just very compliant and very yeah. rubish. So I get like I just, that too. With I'm like, wow, where'd you get your degree? Oh God. And you've done how many totally. surgeries? I think we're naturally as, as much as like New Yorkers are supposed to be so cynical and skeptical. I think as a species, we're naturally compliant. We're yeah. social, like humans are social and our main goal in life. I know they're like assholes who don't conform to this, but even they in their own way. Our main goal in life is to fit in and to have people like us. Right. So it's like you with your friends who you discovered you really hated after you right. spent all those years before lockdown right. wanting them to like you and, and say yes to dinner because you didn't want to offend anybody. Right. And so I just think that pressure on us not to offend. I know, I know. Really part yeah, I now just avoid, I avoid. <laughs> okay, we have to talk about this book. This book was, this book, Profiles in Ignorance, which everyone needs to get. It comes out, what, the 22nd or? 13th. Um, September 13th. 
I have so many folded down pages and highlights in here. If you want to know how we are in this situation, you have to read this book. I don't know. Like the amount of research is incredible. Ronald Reagan was a fucking idiot. Idiot. He could he could not divide 45 by nine. He didn't even read a book. He never read a book. He never read a book. My favorite Ronald Reagan line, I use it in the in the in the uh, book, is that when he was president, his chief of staff, Jim Baker, yeah. did this incredibly elaborate briefing book on an economic summit he was about to have. And Jim Baker came in the next morning and saw that the book had not been opened. And he said, um, so how come you didn't look at the briefing book? And Ronald Reagan said, and I quote, well, Jim. The Sound of Music was on TV last night. <laughs> <laughs> and that's who you want to uh, be the leader of the free world. The amount of people who were brought in to make Reagan, to make Dan Quayle, to make these people look Presentable. like they, yeah, that they can speak Sentence. in full sentences. It, it, yeah. It, it worked with it worked with Reagan. It didn't work with Quayle. No, like it didn't work same, with Quayle. They had the same Henry Higgins. They had this guy yeah. named Sue Spencer, and he like was, yeah. He did so, he did so well with Reagan. Turning this and he worked for Reagan. didn't he work for Gerald Ford too? He did. Yeah, he worked. Now Gerald Ford, weirdly enough, was like a smart guy who always sounded stupid. Yeah, yeah, Gerald yeah. Ford actually like Yale law grad, very smart, but then he'd open his mouth. He was. He was a little bit like me in that he was very Pollyannish. He was like a real rube. He was yeah. from the Midwest, Michigan. And so he would always say really dumb things like Eastern Europe isn't under the domination of the Soviet Union, whatever, which everyone knew was not true. But right. I think in Jerry's heart of hearts, like he, he was such a kind of, he was just such an optimist that he sounded yeah. dumb. But yeah, Stu Spencer was like the Henry Higgins to all these guys. He was, they actually brought in a team of UCLA psychologists to train Reagan to make him seem like he wasn't a moron. And it works because he was a good actor. So he right. could read lines. He could memorize speeches. You could tell he wasn't very deep, but for California, and this is just a fact in the sixties, there were millions of people in California who did not want an intellectual president. They wanted a guy like Reagan who would just sort of say, everything's going to be okay. And yeah. you, know, you don't have to do your homework. I don't do my homework. It's cool. And so he was like the right guy at the right time. And then the Republicans learned the wrong message from this, the wrong lesson, because then when Dan Quayle came along, they said, like, let's do it again. He's a good looking guy out there. And he was just dumb as a brick and he couldn't perform. He was not a good actor. So his ignorance was like flagrant and And there was no way to hide it. The whole Nancy Reagan with the um, Astrology. astrology. And how everyone was pissed off at it, but it still went on. Yeah, I was reminded of that because Gorbachev, Gorbachev just died. And it was like when when Gorbachev and Reagan met in Geneva, Nancy Reagan did the seating arrangement according to everyone's astrological sign. (laughs) And and like adults had to go along with this. Yeah. Like running the show. It's crazy. Also, the George W. Bush stuff is beyond.com and reading this book you realize why we got that orange fucking piece of shit why he yeah. became president 
he did um, not come out of the, he did not come out of the blue at all. It was inevitable, and I think that was to me the big. Um, I'm not the only person who thinks that. Obviously, a lot of people see these trends, but to me, there was some value in putting it all in one book because it's like you can connect the dots and say, "Holy shit!" This started like in 19. 19- 66 or so with, with Ronald Reagan. Probably mm-hmm. started even a little bit earlier. I, yeah, a that. little earlier, yeah. You you yeah. mentioned other, yeah. I mean, I the, the funniest thing was like this guy, Richard Hofstetter, who wrote this book called Anti-Intellectualism in American Life. He mm-hmm. thinks it started in the 17th century. He thinks that like the Puritans were really like intellectual and then revivalists came on, evangel- evangelicals in the 18th century came on and they fucked that up. So it's kind of been a thing in America for a while, so it's nothing new. But right. the last 50 years have been special in that regard because we've had TV and TV oh, and yeah. that yeah. have made it all work because we reward people who are good at getting our attention. Exactly. I mean, thank God Sarah Palin lost. Um, oh, I know. I, it's I, know. A- I, sort of, I know. I was so relieved by that. I think with, you know, and the whole reaction to like Roe v. Wade, the overturn of it, actually does in this sort of a hopeful if i can say mm-hmm. something hopeful one point i make in the book which isn't again is not original a lot of people say that history does not move in a straight line and it's like the people who passed prohibition probably thought oh great now we're not gonna have any alcohol yeah 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 ever again and it's like history doesn't work that way i think right. the roe v wade thing was a massive overreach and you know it's not gonna age well uh, unfortunately, I can't be smug about it because a lot of people are going to die as a result of it. Yes, I'm right. But just as a lot of people died during Prohibition because yep. we, they were like, you know, drinking fucked up alcohol and getting mm-hmm. shot in gangland massacres. Mm-hmm. I don't want to compare the two too specifically because I think the overturn of Roe v. Wade is way worse because it's going to affect it's in, affecting an entire gender of people. It's affecting millions and millions and millions of people. Well, it's also. Um, you know, I've been doing a lot of reading and have come to the conclusion, as other people have, that women have never been equal. And and you're no. taking something away for uh, a right when we've never been had equality. So. Right. It, right. It's it's beyond I can't it's this book. You have to read this book. It is so good. You want to laugh. You want to cry. It's just full of the most fascinating facts that you're like, no fucking way. And then you think back to those times and the fact that you didn't know this during that time. (laughs) And you're like, how? I can't believe this was going on. And they got away with this shit. Hey everyone, did you know that Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the United States with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the United States? And I'm one of them. You're listening to one of them. Fast Growing Trees has everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, house plants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and your space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever, forever. 
I just want you to know that I just got off a plane and I walked in my apartment. What was the first thing I did is I came in and said hi to Avi, my fig tree. I'm telling you, and I have Yael, which is another plant, but fast growing trees has changed my atmosphere here in my apartment. You don't need a lot of space, but they do have, you know, they have stuff for outdoor spaces, but I live in an apartment and I'm telling you, Avi and Yael, yes, they're both Jewish names, Hebrew. The space looks so much better. And I just had a conversation with Avi. Like, I was like, I missed you. I love having living things here. It's very, very, I don't know, it's made this more of a home. It's the best. And Elisa has some too. And she loves them. And she talks to them too. But she got that from me. Anyway, check out Fast Growing Trees. You need to be around plant life. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code Judy Gold, J U D Y G O L D, at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code Judy Gold at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code Judy Gold. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. You're welcome. Do you think Trump's going to get indicted? Oh, gosh. You know, um, had I gone to law school doing my wanted Judy, I'd be so much better. Well, let me put it this way. I'm going I'm to answer your question in a slightly different way. I'm so bad at predicting things. Yeah. I'm not a good predictor. Um, you should call Nancy Reagan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meant to call garbage off. Now it's yeah. too late. Obviously should be indicted. There's this whole bullshit yeah. thing that the Justice Department, there's some tradition about you don't indict a sitting president. And then it's like, oh, Napier was saying like, oh, I love Lindsey Graham, who's now like Antifa or something. He's oh, my God. Yeah. Like, what, what is this going to be like? Woodstock 99? Like we start burning <laughs> things down? Like who's exactly right? I mean, my my feeling about like the rioting in the streets thing is like, how are we going to be able to tell what's amid all the dancing? That I mean, was the best. Really be that to, was the best you line. Know, are you going to be able to pick out the rioting? But it's like um, one thing I do talk a little bit about in the book is that the Republicans, you know, Democrats are unfairly stereotyped as being the party of civil disobedience, yeah, and rioting, and everything. It's not us, dude. It's the Republicans. The Republicans, when in doubt violence right like the bullies in your school yeah yeah the year the year 2000 when they weren't getting their way in florida they rioted they organized that was like james baker and the republican establishment organized these riots thing called the brooks brothers riot in in florida it's like no they're the ones and and trump throughout his presidency was always saying like if you know the Mueller report comes out i I can't say what's going to happen there'll be riots you know they were always threatening violence. So like January 6th was just like, it was like the movie after about 10 trailers for the right. movie, it finally came out. I know it's like easy to say that in, in the aftermath, but we need to have, I think, this is naive, maybe it's the Rube in me. Don't we need to have the rule of law in this country? Don't you? I mean, we did like 50 years ago because it was like, you know, Watergate, which was yeah. a minor offense. Like, Compared to this? Oh, my God. Not even close. Yeah. I think the difference there was that you had a Republican Party who, not that they were great either, but they went up to the White House, Barry Goldwater and this group of senators, and they said, dude, it's over. Over, yeah. You don't have the vote. 
get the fuck out. Yeah. I don't, that's, that's a direct transcript by the way. <laughs> and uh, so that was the difference was that we had a party that was actually a part of the system. Today's Republican party has gotten untethered from our democracy. It's now like the party of we'll be rioting in the street. Right. And it's the party of like, you know, oh, we don't, you know, we don't, um, we don't acknowledge that this election is real. So people like Josh Hawley, who went yeah. to fucking great law schools, like saying, yeah. I don't certify these votes. So you have people basically just being opposed to being a part of the government that they've been elected to be. They're really like, it's like anarchy. It's really. And there's no public servant part of this. You know, you're not a public servant. Yeah. I love how you talk about, you know, these people and this idea of you can have a great education and still read conspiracy theories and believe bullshit and. Or or pretend to. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them. I mean, I feel like people like DeSantis and Josh Hawley are doing a great job of playing idiots on yeah. TV to, and, to win both. And these idiots that, you know, live here, ugh, it's so awful. Mark Twain said, you wrote this, you can't really improve on the truth. All of your humor and satire comes from the truth. And I totally believe that that is, it's, it's crazy. What the fuck? I can't even imagine what the fuck is going on right now. But that's also like, isn't that like, to me, that's also just the essence of comedy. Like when you get up and you say that you hate your friend, there's, there's an element of truth to that, which is right. why it's funny. Right. It's and like everyone's we, like, we you know, know what? I do too. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and on some level, we know you really mean it. You're right. Not kidding. Right. But you get away with it because you're funny. Oh, Andrew. Um, I always ask my podcast guests two questions, even though I could talk. I lo- I think you are an American treasure. I think you are a gift. Thank you. It's just, I'm so, I mean, you're in my life and you every day. And I just, it's such a good part of my day. All right. So number one, what do you do for your mental health? That's my first question. I, I have a lot of routines. Oh. I, I think I'm a, I think I'm a creature of, we're all creatures of habit. And sometimes we have bad habits, like, you know, doing cocaine and so like that, which I, somehow I, I was in LA in the eighties and never yeah. have tried cocaine yeah. in my life. Oh, uh, wow. Well, yeah. Terrified of drugs. Not good. Um, but I do things. I, I do. I run. I like, I, I'm really into exercise. That's I know. I used good. to see you at the gym. That's very important. Yeah. yeah. Very good for my mental health uh-huh. and probably, and probably even more than my physical health. Like I feel like when I'm running, um, Sometimes I'll stumble on a good idea or at least an idea worth exploring because I'm sort of zoning out. But it is it's it is good for your serotonin level or yeah. endorphins or whatever that is. I like to cook. I like Nally to too. um I like to be no I'm not saying this to get credit because I feel like when a man says this, they always get credit for it unfairly, but I really like being a dad. I really like You know, that, that is so obvious. <laughs> the more I do research on you, it's like, wow, he just wants to be with his kids. I really like being, and I, you know, I have adult kids and they're in my life and I'm in their life every day. It's one of the, actually Same. one of the only good things about texting, right? Is like, I'm in touch with them really around me and they're both so funny and so interesting. And now I've got these adult friends, you know? I know, right? And, and I'd rather wonderful. be with them. 20, 26 and 21. They're just little, little yeah. Babies. But it's um, yeah, I'm the same way. And like today, that, and I speak to them multiple times a day. But 
today I was talking to Ben this morning and we're, you know, he just got to school. He goes to Trinity in Hartford and he just got there. And, um, so this morning I said, are you up? And then he calls me and the end of the, and, and I said, all right, you know, I'm like, what are you doing today? Blah, blah, blah. How was your workout? Blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, all right, I'll talk to you next week. And it was a joke because we talk 80 times a day, but it was just <laughs> made me laugh. So, okay, I'll call you same time next week. <laughs> it made that's me so laugh funny. so hard. Yeah. I, that's the, my favorite time is with my kids. I can't even, yeah, I, I just, I just think like all those habits that I just described, I think they, they keep me from getting a loose ends. I think humans aren't great at just sitting around doing nothing. Yes. And so I feel like exercise, cooking, my wife used to call them when we lived in New York on the Upper West Side, she, we would refer to them as my rounds. Like I would, right. I would like go out, I'd go to like Garden of Eden and pick oh, up Oh yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I yeah. get my shoes repaired at Andrade. I love that. I did, went there too. Yeah, I still it's go the there. Best. I know. It's the best. She'd joke because I would, t- she'd say, are you taking yourself out to lunch? Because Livy is not a big lunch person. So like, I would like go to like the Chinese restaurant and take yeah. myself out. And um, I love that. I love, I love things that have predictable results. Yes. Like if I'm making a meal, I know that it's going to I That is so life. true because uh, my whole life is unpredictable. Exactly. And deep down, I mean, cause you and I are in the arts. Those are very unpredictable careers, but really all of our lives. There's a veneer of right. order to them, but it's really like we're just complete we have no control. of the right. universe, no control. So doing those routines that give us the illusion of control, I think really helps my mental health. I, I so agree. I'm the same way. Okay. That's and then my answer to number one. Thank okay. you. Number, number two, two. I, you know, I call the podcast Kill Me Now because <laughs> I say it about a hundred times a day because everything aggravates me. Yeah. Justifiably. What? What pisses you off more than anything in the entire, like what fucking makes you crazy mad? Oh gosh. You know, this is, this is something, a lot of things, obviously. Right. But this is a really tough one because, because I'm trying to be open-minded. One of my goals in life is to be open-minded and to be more tolerant of others. But I must say Ignorance. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, I bet it's it's ignorance. It's the same. I know know it's very on brand, but, but hear me out. Like, uh, here's the thing. I don't know. Like I can't stand because I don't work in an office. I don't work really for an organization. I mean, the New Yorker buys my stuff, but I don't, not really part of the New Yorker. But did you see Jeffrey Tubin's penis? Go ahead. What? Well, this is a good segue actually, because, (laughs) um, (laughs) Because that occurred on a Zoom call. Yes. And I think to me, the real offense there was that people had to be on a Zoom call. Right. Because I think, I think honestly, I can't speak about the penis because I didn't see it. But I mean, it's, it's conceivable that that would at least add some entertainment value to Zoom, which I right. find absolutely <laughs> horrible. And everything I heard about that Zoom call, I heard that like they were like doing something for the for the radio, because they have the New York radio hour, which is a great mm-hmm. show, but they were doing something where they were sort of gaming out the election or, you know, everybody right. was playing like Jeffrey, I guess, was supposed to be playing the Supreme Court and uh-huh. somebody else. And that Zoom call sounded like the worst thing ever. So this is a good segue because one of my complaints, and this happened the other day, I'm almost never on Zoom, but I was on a Zoom call where 
No one on the call knew anything. We were supposed to be discussing something. And I was literally the only person who had done his homework. And so I was really brought face to face with my number one thing that aggravates me, which is ignorance. So like we were going over stuff and it was like, I felt like I was, you know, teaching like a language class or something. Oh my God, my blood pressure is going up listening to this. Yeah. And I mean, now here's where it's a problem, which is at the end of my book, I talk about how the solution to our democracy and to make our democracy better and to have smarter leaders is that we've got to get more active in local things. We can't just make everything a national thing where we watch MSNBC and then we tweet and we think that's activist. Right. That's not activist. Or give money to someone who you know is not going to win. Yeah. Yeah. We click on a banner. Right. (laughs) And we think, oh, I'm Rosa Parks now. Right. Um, So preach at the end that we all have to be locally active. But I know that in practice, that is going to be, and I'm, I'm going to try and I am trying. I really am trying to do things locally here in New Hampshire, um, which is a swing state and a really right. important Senate race. And you're up. a swinger too. So just, and I'm a swinger yeah. back from the seventies. Yeah. Um, but who hates ignorance, getting involved in anything that involves dealing with people on a granular level is going to drive me fucking right. Nuts. I right. know it. So, so I actually asked a woman who's like, very accomplished who's like she's chaired a lot of boards and things like that for important organizations and i asked her i said what do you do when you're in a meeting and somebody says something absolutely idiotic Mm -hmm. and she said well what i'll do is i'll say well that's an interesting idea another way we might look at that problem is and then she segues to her idea Mm -hmm. and it's like dude i wish i could do that like i want that skill right my impulse is to say you fucking idiot yes (laughs) and that gets and that will not advance we have too much of that in our in our um politics now right like one thing you said about the book judy and i won't go on at length i know we got to go one thing you said about the book that i really liked was when you said it's all facts right a hundred percent facts like the book is really pretty devoid of opinions actually I'm not saying this guy was an idiot and he was a moron. No, I'm no. Just tell, I'm just saying what they actually knew. I asked the question, what did they know? And the answer was jack shit. Right. But it's factual. And I think right now one of the problems we have is there's a lot of name calling that's untethered from facts or evidence. Where we just say, I don't agree with you, so you're a fucking moron. Right, right. I, I want to just say, like, no, you are an ignoramus. Right. Which means you do not know thing. Right. Um, but that has to be factually based. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say is the thing that aggravates me the most is ignorance, but I'm really going to try to work hard to be tolerant of others and to I'm work not. well with others. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to. I can't right? do it. I, it's just so I, they aggravate me. So I just, I just want to say, this is how factual this book is from page 245 to 293. Are all of your notes and um, where you got all your information from? It's one thing after another thing after, and you're like, "What the? F- how did I not this, like? It's it is so good and it's so scary at the same time, and it's really funny, Thank and you. you're really fun, Andy. This was like my dream come true. This, I can't- is, this is I've known you for like twenty years. It's the longest conversation we've ever had. Really. 
I think so. But it was That's because you've been avoiding me. No, no, no. I yeah. was waiting for you to get a podcast. Oh, thank you. Obeyed. Yeah, um, and I got it in 2015. Thank you, though. No, but how many episodes have you done now? Oh, I don't know. Like hundreds, right? Hundreds? Yes, yes. But uh, it's, uh, Andy, I make, I make no money, but it's like what you were saying um, that w- when you were reading the biographies and you were learning and learning, and it's like, I do this because I love spending hours learning about people. Like, I, yeah. I, I think that, I think a lot of people come on and think, it's it's all it's because I've been interviewed by so many people who are like, hey, how'd you get your start in comedy? What's it like to be a woman in comedy? Oh, you're Jewish and you're gay. And I was just like, no, that's not no. my story. You know, so, yeah, I do it as a labor of love. Maybe one day I'll make a dollar. Thank you so much. I can't thank you enough for being on my podcast. Thank you for having me. I hope I'll see you soon. Thank you so much for listening to part two of Kill Me Now with the one and only Andy Borowitz. Kill Me Now is produced by Laura Vogel, edited by Colin Schmeling. This podcast would not be possible without the loyalty, hard work, and, you know, I mean, she's not Jewish, but Jewish adjacentness of Brittany Joe Sowards. Sorry. If you like the show and you haven't subscribed, please subscribe and leave a review. Five stars, please. Come on, I'm really good at this. I need the, I need, the, I need the traffic, the traffic. If you, you haven't purchased my book, yes, I could say that when they come for the comedians, we're all in trouble. You know, annoying. I mean, I know it's two years old, but annoying. But also pick up Andy's book. It's so good. Profiles and ignorance. Oh, let me tell you about my upcoming dates, peoples, which I should probably do it at the beginning of the podcast, but you know. I'm not that smart. Uh, October 6th, I will be at the Wall Street Theater in Norwalk, Connecticut. That's Norwalk, Connecticut. And I'm in Provincetown for Women's Week, October 11th, 12th, and 13th. So that is exciting. And I will be in Florida, Fort Lauderdale, on October 22nd at the Sunshine Cathedral Center, which I think is a church. But, you know, I can adjust. So yeah, that's it. I'm I'm recording this before the uh, it's right now Thursday, and the podcast comes out Tuesday. So I don't know what's going on with you know Orange Fuckface, but I'm kind of happy. Oh, and I got to meet Letitia James. I did a pro-choice uh, benefit, pro-choice ma- uh, what's called Choice Matters, and the benefit was last week, and it was in Westchester, and I met Letitia James or Tish, as I call her now because we're best friends, and she gave such an incredible speech and I fucking love her. I fucking love her so much. Uh, But not as much as I love you. I love you for listening. Oh, I also want to say, I'm recording this before the Rosh Hashanah holiday. Happy, healthy New Year to all of the Jews who celebrate the New Year. Uh, Lashana Tova Tikatevu. God, I'm so Jewish right now. So, I'll be gaining a lot a lot of weight a lot of weight but by the time this airs Rosh Hashanah will be almost over and um, I'll be repenting until Yom Kippur will when I'll really repent okay this is really Jewy I'm just doing the bell um anyway I I can't thank you enough for listening especially to the end please write to me and tell me if you listen to the end because I'd like to mention your name oh yeah I would 
But people tell me and then I forget and I try to write it down. But if you DM me or just like on Twitter, right? Oh, I listened to the end. Then I'm going to mention your name and thank you. And please tell your friends about the podcast because it's getting a little too expensive for me. So I don't know. I'm wondering if I should, you know, do the 99 cents a month thing because I, I don't know. It's I don't you know, I'm it's hard. It's hard. You know, no one's listening now anyway, so I don't know. I mean, maybe someone is. And if you are, let me know what you think of that 99 cents a month thing. But other than that, I all I can say is thank you. Happy, healthy new year. Fuck Trump. Yeah, motherfucker. And fuck Putin, motherfucker. And fuck men who think that they can tell women what they can do with their bodies. Okay, I've got a lot more fuck yous coming, but um, I want to eat some pasta which is not healthy, but it's delicious. So uh, thank you for listening. And as we always say, so long. Ga, 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 ga.